Uh, last Tuesday morning, my son got his first buck, and uh, we're going to be discussing uh, a lot about that tonight, as well as, uh, you know, real freedom versus the freedom that comes in a bottle or a drug, and... Uh, Put that down. Also won my marriage annulment due to fraud against Holly on Friday. So that was quite the nice uh, thing to get off my back. And uh, so really glad to get that trial over with. Um, wanted to thank Benzie, David, Ted, Aaron, Devin, Lee and Andy D for uh, their contributions over the last couple of weeks while I was not here and wanted to have a show last Tuesday, but it ended up falling through. And it's a good thing it did because my son and I were out <clears throat> early in the morning uh, deer hunting and we had been go going out every morning for, oh, eight, nine days. And my son... Uh, uh, 7 o'clock in the morning last Tuesday, he got his very first buck, so had a lot to do, uh, field dressing, uh, skinning, butchering the deer. We had deer uh, venison tenderloins for dinner that night, so it was a very big learning experience. I hadn't been deer hunting since I was 14, so my son actually got his first buck almost exactly 35 years to the day from when I got mine, also at 14. So that was a uh, great experience. And wow, what a learning experience, learning how to field dress, how to skin, butcher everything, get it all ready for eating, talk about getting integrated with the animal, talk about true independence rather than going to the store and getting your meat out of a wrapper you actually have to learn how to do everything yourself. So really uh, good that my son was able to accomplish that, and he was pretty proud and got to eat uh, something that he put on the table for the very first time. So that was pretty epic. But, uh, uh, you know, Hans, Hans called me, what, uh, night before last, and it was kind of synchronous because... We were. I was wanting to have Hans on. By the way, tonight is the 12th anniversary show, so 12 years, I guess tomorrow actually, since I started the show, but uh, wow, 12 years of tons of research. This is Hans' 48th time on the show, I believe. So welcome back, Hans. Thanks, John. It's great to, uh, great to be here, and... Uh, yeah, no, I just called you randomly. I was just like, uh, I said, hey, let me just say hi to Jan. So I, I did not have any uh, ideation at all about this being the 12th anniversary show. <laughs> I had I had mentioned it to you, what, uh, a month and a half ago or so when you were on about having you on for the 12th anniversary. 
Yeah, yeah, and I wasn't sure what that date was, but uh, <laughs> you know, don't you have to buy what's the 12th anniversary gift? Is it some kind of like ruby or something? Or right, well, yeah, you know, yeah, or like an ounce of silver from each uh listener and a big donation tonight. Just kidding, but uh, much appreciated for any support, but. Yeah, and thanks everyone. Yeah, it was so cool that uh, to see my son out there. But you know, it, it's kind of fitting because our topic tonight, the magical mystery tour, is going to coincide with the false freedom that they've been selling the public through drugs and through the music industry that you and I have done so much to expose for almost the last decade. It'll be a decade in in January since you and I did our first show together it's a long time you and i have gotten a lot older in the last a lot of i did a lot of drugs in those past 10 years <laughs> i love it. hanging out with hunter hunter and i you know we just we get along great and you know it's uh, is it, who's hunter hunter biden oh yeah 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 well yeah likes, you, like you should caveat that because someone will take you serious and edit that little clip and ah, you're right caveat that was um that was a uh uh, I think a robust attempt at humor. Uh, right, right. But, well, there's always there's always trolls and larpers out there that'll try and twist what we say, as you as you know. But uh, yeah, I'm really proud of my son for putting food on the table for over a month. Proud dad here, you know. And it's 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 a lot different than the leftist pride. You know, one of the seven deadly sins is you know they prayed about and who knows what in the streets of San Francisco and, and what all else for their pride rather than actually accomplishing something and, and, you know, a major rite of passage for a boy becoming a man, et cetera. So uh, let's, let's dive in Hans. I know you've got some PowerPoint uh, slides to show and some audio and stuff. Just, we just have to be careful with the, uh, copyright they they keep trying to ding my channel yeah no there's nothing uh, there's no music and this is just kind of starting off point there's a lot more that can be done with this i just i you know i kind of a, a broad range I, when i was looking for the lyrics for the song magical mystery tour i found out there's a podcast called magical mystery tour with i think mark devlin was on i said you know what i didn't listen to it so i thought i won't go so deep into the mystery tour I, I will but uh it's um i'd like to have some like you know clips and that but anyways let's go ahead here and um i'm gonna share my screen and now you know, just feel free to dive in sure this is <clears throat> ultimate powerpoint i did here um let's see okay share screen oh you disabled screen sharing what's that you disabled screen sharing? I did not. It said host disabled screen sharing. Um, here, try that. Okay. Okay, share screen. Let me see what the share. Is it working? Share computer sound. Yep. Yep. All right, cool. That's yeah, sad. I didn't change that setting. They must have done that out of the kindness of their hearts automatically. Yeah, man, I've been having. Oh, like I just lost. Go ahead. You cut out for a second. Okay. Um, yeah, that was when I switched audio. I've been having weird stuff like where I send files and then 
if I'm on a different computer, I can't, I won't get the confirmation email, right? Even though it's sent to my account, open up the other computer, it's there. It's for Gmail. It's just all kinds of stuff like that. It gets on my nerves. But anyways, um, let's go ahead and, and dive in here and see if I can do full screen. And then, um, okay. Okay, so the magic bus, dream time, escape, and virtualized reality. So it's, I'm just, uh, I thought I'd have some fun with this. So for me, it's fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for anyone else, but I don't care. So anyways, <laughs> well, you know, you can just, you know, go out and eat a hoagie or something. I don't know. Uh, so anyways, so I'll get into what, what all these things mean, but we can kind of think about it. Dream time is the, I would say like the state of, we've almost been as a culture put into like a dream, a dreamlike landscape that's controlled from the outside. And uh, so in a sense, the Beatles and the magic bus becomes almost the whole culture, right? The application you'd say of MK ultra, but also a lot of other techniques to start to um, remove like what you had with the deer, right? An actual experience escape is that desire. Well, I'm going to get on the bus because uh, you know, uh, I'm unhappy uh, or, you know, I'm neurotic. I'm, I'm too fat. I'm too horny. I'm too old. I'm too young, whatever you want to escape. Right. And that idea of escape uh, is premised or predicated on the um all the conditioning right and that goes to the uh, super creepy children's songs i've got a whole vinyl collection of those there's all <laughs> kinds of weird stuff in those you know for like the preschool kids it just like you know but that's one example but just so many things you know in the the self-esteem movement uh mental hygiene all this stuff to make people think that there's something wrong with them right that fundamentally you are um you know not capable of, of knowing your own mind or you have to separate your own mind into uh what you're supposed to be and what you're not supposed to be etc and so this you know there's a lot there's a big gap in a lot of people's lives and one of the kind of the sad things is i think that a lot of people that are more free thinkers that are that probably could have a positive impact um you know are attracted and sort of drawn into things like the uh the Grateful Dead or, or this or that or the psychedelic culture. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, there's a huge, a huge array of um, uh, there's a lot of casualties and, and we don't really know the full extent of that. Because, well, uh, <clears throat> you know, Hans, it was what, a year and a half or two ago, I went to a Dead and Company show just to kind of observe, observe things in hindsight after all of you and my shows together and uh, see things from the perspective of the destruction that you and I exposed, for instance, in our series Laying the Dead to Rest, and for that matter, Music, Mind Control, and Psychobiology, and just seeing all of the, you know, thousands of decimated, wiped out hippies there going around seeking for, you know, seeking drugs and high and passed out everywhere that could have really built something with their lives. And you and I have, you know, done exactly a lot to expose that over the years. Yeah. And 
well, maybe we'll talk about this a bit later about the deadhead murders. So a guy named Sean sent me a link to that. I was like, wow. So there's all these deadheads that have been murdered. There's a long kind of history of that. Um, so we'll get back to that later. And then um, the last point is virtualized reality. Well, that the dream time I'm linking to primary psychologic, uh, somewhat occult methods um, and more like experiential stuff, whether it's drugs or, you know, whatever it may be. Virtualized reality is the intersection of the computer, the electronic control network or control grid, and the voluntary acquiescence of many people on the planet to engage with the actual world, right? So especially now COVID, it's almost a forced, forced thing. And they're going to start, you know, doing these AI, uh, you know, private tutorial sessions for kids. So they're going to like learn with these AI bots. They're going to be recording all the biometric data and this and that. And this is already being developed, but that's, you know, it, it goes on and on. And, and um, but virtualized reality is where, you know, it's, you are, there's an electronic space. There, there is a, a virtual reality, but it's also seen as, you know, the way in, you know, the way in or the way out, right? Uh, if anybody saw this, it was really hilarious, man. The virtual Burning Man, <laughs> have you seen it? They're wearing, you know, the, the, the virtual reality glasses and walking around like these Lego people, you know, <laughs> and this guy did like a live, he like live webcast and he's like, hey, what's up, bro? You know, he's talking to his friends and his virtual, virtual online uh, Burning Man. And, you know, he's like, well, it's great. I, I got, I've had like a terrible headache to wearing these things. And the headache's been lasting for like three days, but it's so much fun. But that's an example. I mean, could you imagine a festival and you're walking around like a Lego man in your virtual reality glasses and this is fun? I mean, you know, but people don't even recognize that disconnection anymore, right? They don't know what's in front of them. Okay, let's dive in. So, um, uh, all aboard, right? The magic bus. And, well, and just to make the connection, the Beatles did the Magical Mystery Tour, uh, an hour-long movie back in, what, the 60s, which was completely awful. And then who did it first? Was it Ken Kesey and his bus, or was it the Beatles and their bus? Uh, the Beatles, the movie was made uh, or was released in 1967. Um, and so the Merry Pranksters had actually, they started uh, prior to that. And, you know, but you, you don't know exactly when it was written. Um, obviously, it is a reference to Kesey's bus, right? Right. And, um, you know, and, and, and so, you know, was there a cross-pollination? Um, you know, there's a space for more uh, interest, right? But I just wanted to call to mind that there are a lot of songs about buses, too, like, you know, Ma uh, Magic Bus, of course, by The Who, um, et cetera. And this image of... <laughs> you know, being on the bus, right? You're on the bus or you're off the bus, right? You are on the bus, which means, you know, you are, you've made that choice and the choice you may not be able to come back from, but it looks really fun, right? At the time, it seemed really fun, um, you know, where people, all the acid casualties left along the roadside, you know, with Ken Kesey or et cetera. But um, hey, these guys are great. Um, so, I'm using the bus as a metaphor for culture, ethos, right? Ethos, we can say that. And all that's implied with ethos um, and worldview, et cetera. Um, 
So one thing's interesting, and these are a lot of times these are school buses, right? So you know, if you're going to hypothetically think of something that's really cool, the magic, the magic airplane, the magic train, right? I mean, riding on a bus is not, you know, my uh, most, you know, wonderful experience, generally speaking. I, I did have an awesome sleeper bus in India. It was like a 15-hour bus ride, but it turned out to be, you had like a bed and a compartment. It was great, but it turned out to be infested by cockroaches. So that wasn't so great. But, but. So what do you, you know, you think it's a school bus, right? So you're in the school bus, you're sitting on the bus. I don't know if you, you know, if any, anyone listening or you, Jan, have been on, you know, taking the school bus, you know, you go out there, you wait in the morning, you know, if you're an adult and do that, it's kind of creepy, but you know, as a kid, you know, that whole ritual of going and getting on the school bus and, you know, you're being taken away from your home and you're being, you know, in a sense, you your will is now the will of the state to a certain extent, right? Uh, or your mind, right? So you're there to have your mind shaped, conditioned, uh, hopefully educated along the way. But the school bus, again, it's like a kid, right? You're, it's not like even a voluntary thing. You have to be on the bus. You have to go to school. Okay. Um, so driver's in control, right? You don't have any autonomy really about where you're going. They're going to stop where they decide to stop. Um, you know, obviously you... Um, at least for the school bus, you end up at the school. But, you know, if you go along for the ride, um, either with the, you know, the culture of narcissism, the, the cult of um, totally believing everything uh, the government says, the social conformity aspect. Um, but when you make those decisions, right, you're along for the ride. You've kind of linked yourself. Well, and let me interject there. The people who get on that proverbial bus think that they are going for freedom and not going for what the government says. They don't grasp that this whole thing, this whole drug-induced uh, psychedelic counterculture, etc., is the MKUltra program, and it's not freeing them. It's causing hypersuggestion to control them. So it's the exact opposite of what they believe it is. And it's like jo uh, Jonathan just said in the chat, it's the Pied Piper syndrome. Yeah, it's a Pied Piper, um, and it's also the... Can you speak up just a little bit there? Oh, sure, absolutely, and maybe I can. Let, you want me to check, check my sound here real quick? Um, it's. I think me, you're just a little bit far back there. Okay, yeah, I, was, I got my reclining chair. It's kind of about ready to fall asleep. You're looking at all these... Uh, I built all these sound panels, so... Are you trying it. to build the wall of sound like uh, Stanley Osley and those guys? Well, no, I'm building <laughs> I'm building three isolation rooms, including a drum room, putting in a bunch of windows. So I'm basically doing all the remodeling myself. And these are just um, these, you know, they can cost up. Some of them cost like 500 bucks, like the bass traps. And, you know, just use a uh, rock wool insulation and some, uh, you know, lulin or plywood. Yeah. There you go. But well, uh, and uh, just really quickly, um, MK says it's like. Uh, bicycle day, it's like learning to ride a bike. They're taking you on a ride, and that's exactly right. But, you know, the whole bicycle day thing, which I've exposed in my research as a fraud, too, it appears that Albert Hoffman did not invent LSD, that uh, Arthur Stoll, his boss at Sandoz, invented LSD, and they passed the invention of LSD over to Albert Hoffman to cover up 20 years of human experimentation. So, 
you know, if if LSD was invented, what did they say, 1936 or 38 or whatever it was, if it was invented here, then they have a good cover for the 20 prior years of human experimentation that they had done with it. Yeah. Well, and another thing about the drivers in control. So say the drivers in control uh, for, you know, you've joined the counterculture. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're dropping a lot of acid, just like your idol John Lennon, right? He used to put liquid LSD on his Cheerios or cornflakes or whatever, his, his uh, whatever they eat in England. Uh, but yeah, on his breakfast cereal. Um, but also supposedly, you know, did did all these people take as many drugs as they purported to have taken? Correct. Taken, that's know? that's and, a really and, good point. It and it's they were probably did not, and it was probably uh, just like we had talked about in the past with Tim Leary and these guys. They probably just sold that image to the public and like Terrence McKenna heroic doses and all of this nonsense. And it turns out he never even did that, and he hadn't done mushrooms in like 12 years because he did like a gram one day and had a bad trip yeah and if you're in the the drug sort of counterculture scene and um, i want to distinguish this from like here in ohio it's it's just awful um the uh the fentanyl meth stuff i mean i i'm you know people i know personally are, are dying i mean well and it's it, it's it's rampant it's it's unbelievable man it's uh it so that's a different kind of a drug culture uh you know, it, but it's sort of the psychedelic, um, you know, that, that kind of culture had a sense of you're kind of part of an elite, right? That was promoted. Timothy Leary, you know, you're part of humanity's elite. You're going to change the world. Um, but, you know, when you get a certain percentage of the population that has gone into these states of high suggestibility of programming, of possible involuntary occultic initiation, you may you start to get a um, uh, a critical mass um, to, to change society, and especially so if a lot of those people end up being university professors, politicians, um, you know, whatever you know what I mean, or you know, in the media. Um, so that influence is there. So it's a way of shaping and transforming culture and a way of disrupting the existing cultural space. I'm going to play a clip, uh, you know, of uh, uh, Owsley, you know, describing, you know, uh, you know, just going and disrupting these small towns. And also Jerry talking about just going to small town America and basically, you know, creating huge schisms, right? I mean, just really freaking out. You know, we're talking these small communities um and you know and, and really having a profound influence um, well and i actually uh spoke i was chatting with this guy joshua today on facebook last name z and he could not believe well first of all he said well you know psychedelics were outlawed so therefore they couldn't have been promoting them to the youth and of course i've showed Tim Leary's congressional testimony where he went to Congress requesting LSD and psychedelics outlaw. And then immediately after the drugs were outlawed, that's what kicked off the summer of love. But his whole <clears throat> argument <clears throat> was that the, the notion that <clears throat> Timothy Leary and these psychedelic gurus promoted psychedelics to 
the youth, what Leary called juvenilization and also pediomorphosis, uh, couldn't have been real. And it's like, well, we didn't see them showing up at senior centers, you know, trying to get people in their, you know, late 80s and 90s onto psychedelic drugs. And we didn't see them putting those people on the bus. We saw them intentionally targeting the youth. Yeah. And, and let's look at, I mean, Leary, I mean, you know, again, I've uh, sort of been collecting a few stories here and there. And, and I've talked to some people that are old, uh, boomers or whatever, and they know people in the sixties and seventies that took LSD one once and were permanently screwed up the rest of their lives. And I've seen that in the ayahuasca dime stuff. Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where, look, you can drink. Yeah, if you drink a whole, you know, if you're never drank before, you drink a fifth of whiskey, you may die of alcohol poisoning. But you're not going to lose your mind permanently. Um, you could smoke so much weed, you'll fall asleep. Okay, you, yeah, you could overdose on heroin and cocaine, but those are... Those are chemical, those are simply body's tolerance. You can die from drinking too much water. And I'm not saying heroin and cocaine are better, but LSD is something where you take a regulated dose and it's almost worse than physically dying if you're permanently insane the rest of your life, right? You, you know, and I've, this has been absolutely suppressed. Just like I've been trying to, you know, kind of warn people a bit about the, the Daime Church, you know, and I've talked about this on the air, you know, with all the spirit possession stuff, but it's so hard. These stories are scrubbed, right? Japan murders, Brazil murders, United States murders. Those stories are nowhere to be found. And the only stuff I could even track down were anecdotal stories like in forums and stuff, right? But they are promoting that big time. Right. This is, oh, cures depression, you know, miraculous healing effects, this, 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 this. Well, you know what? If you're taking an antidepressant and you take that stuff without getting it out of your system, you know, goodbye, potentially for good. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And this stuff is absolutely dangerous. And it's not it's everyone knows that heroin and cocaine or even alcohol are potentially fatal, you know. But how many people know that the psychedelics are fatal but they're not fatal to your body they're, they're fatal, fatal to, to your, your brain body, right to your brain well and let me read a couple of quotes here you know because and this is from uh, dr timothy leary who is of course an admitted cia agent but he says from kostler i learned about juvenilization the theory that evolution occurs not in the adult final form of a species but in the juveniles larvals adolescents pre-adults the practical conclusion if you want to bring about mutations in a species, mutations in a species, work with the young. Koestler's teaching about pediomorphosis prepared me to understand the genetic implications of the 60s youth movement and its rejection of the old culture. Now, let me read you this quote from uh, Marlene Dobkin Darius that I had on. Yeah? Uh, do you mind? I just want to interject, man. That is. Uh... I may have heard that before. That is an extremely powerful quote. That's, you know, again, we let's, I just want to reiterate this. You may have heard this a thousand times. I'm like your dad, you know, but basically pediomorphosis. This is changing the human genetic code. And I remember I was doing my ethnomusicology and trying to talk about, 
you know, the, these families that go seven, eight, 10, 15 generations of intensive training in music, starting from the womb. And I said, this is, there is a genetic thing that can be passed down. And I got, no, you can't say that. That's not possible. Well, there's a lot of stuff. And there was research before it was verboten, you know, because of the political correctness or whatever, that actual genetic changes can be passed down to your children or they can be passed down intergenerationally and show up two or three generations, you know, a, a generation later yeah. or, you know what I mean? And so that, that is exactly what I was trying to say. And I did not, I've, you know, I've never heard that. And that is, these are, they're, they're, they're talking about literal mutations, literal pedomorphosis. This is not, this is not a metaphor, right? This is not metaphoric. This is factual. Go ahead, Jan. All right, so this is from uh, Professor Marlene Dobkin de Rios. She was one of the key people who promoted ayahuasca back in the day about, oh, nine years ago or so. I interviewed her on the show regarding her book, Ayahuasca, A Tea Laced in Controversy. And I think before she died of cancer, she was a professor of anthropology at Cal State Fullerton, and then she went on to be associate professor of psychology or psychiatry at UC Irvine. But she goes on here to say, psychedelic substances like ayahuasca create a state of hypersuggestibility in which persons are very open to be being influenced by others. Not freedom, folks, being influenced by others. Many traditional cultures have utilized this condition to inculcate cultural values and behaviors in young people as they receive initiation into adulthood. In the West, countercultural values can be inculcated in young people when using these psychedelics, especially when using them in an antinomian context. And, mm. you know, so what is key here is that word antinomian. Antinomian means of or relating to the view that Christians are released by grace from the obligation of observing the moral law. So what do we have? <clears throat> we have people getting on the bus to bring it full circle. We have people following the Pied Piper at the Woodstock festivals. And interestingly, the, the signs outside of uh, Woodstock, New York, which is in, actually in Bethel, New York, uh, actually have the Pied Piper as you're entering into the Woodstock area. It's no longer a, a farm there. They've turned it into a huge museum and memorial for rock music but they have the the pied piper right outside there uh, going back to i think it was jonathan's point earlier and then so what we see though uh, it, you know beginning with woodstock and these other music festivals etc is people then going out and fornicating in the mud like swine to their rock idols or their graven images. And so you're you're literally collapsing the society from, you know, within and then you're promoting it as freedom. Yeah. Well, I mean antinomian also, I mean it has uh, you know, there's it has, you know, that's the original meaning of the term, but it has a kind of a broader sense. There is a broader sense of kind of a broader do what thou wilt, but also it is it is fundamentally this idea of reversing, of, of you know, inverting of, of, you know, it's different from shattering. 
That's what I want to stress. It's it's sort of like an opposite, right? It's kind of a boomerang effect. It's like a mirror image. So you're not, you're not, you know, you know, well, just this is not a, a correct example, but say you're not destroying marriage, you're you're promoting people to become swingers while they're married, right? Well, uh, that, that's antinomian. But so, so you know what I mean? So that's why it's especially deadly or devious. Well, let me let me read this. And of course, this is a shout out to uh, Chris Mayville and Morgana, who's actually in the chat tonight. Thanks for the show intros that we played for many years. And you all will know this one. This is from uh, MQUltra engineer, uh, architect, Aldous Huxley. Epsilon singing, no more mammy, no more pappy. Ain't we lucky? Ain't we happy? Everybody's oh so happy. Everybody's happy now. Sex galore, but no more marriages. No more pushing baby carriages. No one has to change a nappy. Ain't we lucky? Ain't we happy? Everybody's happy now. Dope for tea and dope for dinner. Fun all night and love and laughter. No remorse, no morning after. Where's the sin and who's the sinner? Speaking of antinomian. Everybody's happy now. Girls nomadic, girls exotic, girls ecstatic, girls erotic. Hug me, baby. Make it snappy. Everybody's oh so happy. Everybody's happy now. Lots to eat and hours for drinking. Soma cocktails. No more thinking. No more thinking. No more thinking. Everybody's happy now. And, of course, that's uh, from Aldous Huxley from Letters of Aldous Huxley. And that's letter number 757, published in 1969, page 809. Again, Letters of Aldous Huxley. Yeah. Well, no, that's uh, that's absolutely you know, right. It's very interesting. And I'm just going to just read a little bit of this. This is an account when I think of this, because um, I I really think, though, that, you know, we do have to have the compassion that this is promoted by the society. Right. This is promoted. Um, it is promoted. It's culture promoted as, you know, you've got people with status and authority like Tim Leary, who's a Harvard psychologist, like, Ram Das, Richard Alpert, you have people. I think it's that, Ram Das, but go ahead, Dick Dick yeah, Ram Das. But, but you know, and, and and again, look at there's very little on the negative effects, and when it's there, it's usually oh, these people are this is like they're too old, or these are like fuddy daddies, or these are like you know hopeless conservatives. But uh, let me just get into this. So there's a whole bunch. I did find it. You guys checked out webcrawler.com. Um, it's a great search engine. And, and so, you, like, I searched on Google nothing, but I got a bunch here. So, well, I remember but, uh, web crawler from way back in the day. It still still works, man. I searched myself on web crawler, found a whole bunch of stuff that I haven't seen for like years on the internet compared to Google. Um, it's kind of Google know, is absolutely terrible. I hope nobody uses that crap anymore. Yeah. So, I'll kind of just jump a little bit around this, but I'll read some of this. So, uh, if you're reading this, then you're probably like me, a seeker. I, too, was searching for a solution to my low self-esteem, my spiritual curiosity. It all started when I met a dating coach who on the surface seemed like a chilled out, normal guy in a happy relationship. I want what he's got, I thought. I heard through the grapevine he did ayahuasca and DMT ceremonies. And that was a secret to his success. What's DMT? I naively asked. Little did I. Okay. You know. Um, so anyways, you can see, you know, people go seeking right i mean um my brother was trying to get me to go there for health reasons you know he um and unfortunately my brother has passed away um so he's another casually i'm not necessarily directly from that but it's really uh 
you know, so I, I feel very personally about this. If people think I'm getting emotional. I mean, it's, you know, so, I mean, I know people I, close I, to me. I've every friend that I've had that was a big deadhead and a big burner is now dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, so I'll continue. So like many people, I started Googling. I found out DMT is the psychoactive component in ayahuasca. Correct. A supposed plant medicine cured for various sicknesses such as depression, anxiety, and heroin. Um, I'm addicted to heroines. I'm just kidding. So you spelled heroin like you spelled the female, you know, whatever. But as a, as a work addict, okay, so took a businessman trip. Now we just go down here. Beginning of a living hell. I went home that night feeling a bit confused. As I walked home, the patterns on the pavements and drains really stood out. It was a bit overwhelming. The next morning, however, patterns on things like my floorboard felt really strange. So this is the next day. So what we're seeing is it should have worn off, right? You do a couple hits. DMT is supposed to last for a short period of time. Five, 10, 12 minutes tops. Yep. Okay. Um, I tried to ignore it. Um, suddenly, I felt like I was having, uh, I, I started having what I what felt like an anxiety attack. I had never had one before. Um, and then, so, but basically, next day she's still tripping. I be began to experience what is known as DPDR, known as depersonalization, derealization. That is where there's so much panic in the nervous system that the body starts releasing opioids into your system because it thinks you're about to die. So life feels very dreamlike. Okay, and well, I'll, I won't uh, continue with that uh, narrative, but it goes on and on. But this person, it never, they never came down. They never came down. Um, and think about that. This dreamlike state that goes into the dream time and the virtual reality. And could that even become genetically transferred or even the potential for that experience? You know? And on top of that, okay, so one of the... In the ayahuasca brews, uh, one of the components that is often included is uh, datura or scopolamine. And uh, that's uh, scopolamine is a, uh, and I'm just pulling this up, it's, a de uh, it's an incapacitating compound. And uh, scopolamine causes extreme hypersuggestibility. So to put it into context, if you were dosed unwittingly, or even wittingly for that matter, by uh, scopolamine, and there's been instances of this going on in Colombia, etc. Somebody could blow the, 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 the dust of, scopo of pure scopolamine in your face, and then they could suggest you, they could pull up a truck in front of your house and tell you to load up the truck with all of your own stuff. You would go do it, and the next day you would have no recollection of doing it. And they would fully rob you in your place. You would never remember a thing about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, scopolamine. I mean, yeah, that's um, that's kind of like the zombie drug or whatever. Correct. Yeah, yeah. they blow the dust, and you know. But they, they, uh, a lot of the ayahuasca brews actually include scopolamine, and that's from Datura or, you know, Jimson Devil's Weed. Yeah, I've unfortunately had uh, Datura. Um, I was in uh, India. Back in the day, they have a thing called bong, which is just, you know, a, a, a kind of ganja preparation. It's like these little green balls. And, you know, you take it usually, I mean, and it's really, like, I'm sure you can get really strong ones, but this was like some, like, 
10 year old kid, you know, would show up at the chai stall and it's like one rupee wrapped in a leaf. So, you know, normally you take one, it's just very light buzz. I took I took a couple and I was uh, staying in this house. And then, you know, I started understanding their language and I thought they were going to come up and kill me. And I was like understanding what they're saying. And I was like watching a movie on the wall. And then I, then I, you know, I, I ended up climbing out the window with all my bags. You know, I'm like, I said, you know, I'm really high. I came back down, but that was the Torah. The Torah is a really intense hallucinogen. Um, and, you know, it's scopolamine, I, mean, I think is a derivative, but um yeah, sco- uh, and, well, detura, scopolamine is the active chemical in detura. Yeah, but um, the um, the fact is that suggestibility is, is is a big part of it. But I think what's even worse is the the breakdown of the categories in your mind, especially if you have low self esteem, if you're not connected to yourself and your life, um, you know if you know, you have sort of depression, emotional conditions that you can't access your own self to really know what you're feeling, um, you know, and there may be trauma, maybe this, that. Um, so it's kind of like if you look at the mind, like the MK Ultra programming, right? So they have they have all these different alters, all these different altered personalities, and they're all they're set up in rooms, right? They're all in these different rooms, and then they have different trigger words to bring up that altered personality. And they, they have these cube grids. Um, now I can't say, you know, 100% is factual, but this is what's been said about the program. And they have these cube grids where they'll split it up in all these different, you know, fractured personalities. And this is actually based on the Kabbalah, which is quite interesting. Um, and and so there then there's a lot of reputable stuff on this. It's not just BS, right? Um, there's some stuff, uh, you know, during the satanic panic, you have uh, some very qualified people discussing patients they're dealing with. Um, so that's another part of that is to create these kind of fractured personalities um, and, and, and basically to lose your way so much in your own mind, you can never get back out. And that's what happened to that poor woman. Just, well, uh, and then if you look at uh, MKUltra architect Aldous Huxley's books such as doors of perception and and things like that he's telling people to stop thinking stop using your five senses the exact opposite of the trivium for instance shut off all of the five senses and only believe what you see in this drug-induced um uh primacy of consciousness world that is created by the drugs that the cia and mk ultra were selling and promoting to the youth and so, you know, and Jiddu Krishnamurti uh, had a quote in his stuff. Um, let me just see if I can find it here. Uh, he said, uh, <clears throat> knowledge helping man to ascend seems so utterly nonsense to me. And, of course, Jiddu Krishnamurti was the, the false uh, uh, Christ that they wanted to present to the world, and he was uh, good friends with Aldous Huxley. But it was all about shutting off critical thinking, shutting off perception and understanding of the world and going with this mirror image of it that you said, doing the exact opposite, going with this antinomian world of sex, drugs, and rock and roll and believing that that is reality and that that is your freedom rather than freedom itself. And 
when you and I had spoken on the phone uh, yesterday or day before, uh, you had mentioned the ten directions. Are you are you ready to cover that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you want me to kind of blast through this? I'll, I'll yeah. That. Sure. Okay. So um, actually, it, it's cool. This kind of what you know. You have so many great points. So it's like, uh, you know, I don't do all this work. But anyways, um, so the magic theater of the mind, right? That's for madmen only. It's in the book Steppenwolf by Herman Hesse which was a profound influence on the philosophy, the mythology of the counterculture, right? And this is actually referenced directly in uh, the Magical Mystery Tour. But the magical theater of the mind, you know, again, for madmen only, um, is this other dimension. This is, you know, and shown as the way for the risk takers who are willing to go into this, this state or the space. Well, and of course, oh yeah, good. Sorry. And the the Beatles even state in the Magical Mystery Tour in the in the the film version that they are casting a spell. There's this little segment where they're all dressed in uh, wizard or, you know, wizard type costumes and they say that they're casting a spell. Yeah. And um yeah, I'll, I'll you know, we'll, we'll hit the actual movie in a second here. But uh, with the film, what's interesting is, you know, you watch it. It just starts off as this really crappy vanity movie. Right. And then but there's when they go into and that's, you know, that's when the LSD would be hitting, too. If you take an LSD when you're watching in the theater, there's some really, really, really dark stuff in there that makes you put everything else in a context. But it's in a certain way, it's invisible. It goes directly to your subconscious because things that are terrifying can be blocked out of your subconscious. And when I watched the film again, um, you know, when I was a kid, they used to show like Yellow Submarine, Magical Mystery Tour, you know, at like the, the local community center at, you know, at, at the, you know, the science museum. You go there and sit there and watch these Beatles movies. Oh, these are great for like, you know, five, six year old kids. You know, um, but and so then seeing that again, I was like, whoa, there was something that was done to me watching that movie. Or at least I could not get those images out of my mind for a couple of days. But anyways. Back to the uh, back to the PowerPoint, and uh, I'll try not to talk too fast. Um, I know I can. I just get so excited about life, uh, but I do actually. Um, life is great. Um, but childhood use of generational symbolic conditioning, which is what I just referenced. But you basically look at generations; they're mapped out, and you create different movements. You for different personality types, you create different segments. You create different relational and relative cultural symbols, symbols for identity, media, other things. And these things form the basis for people's personalities that is something that we're not really, I think we're probably come to terms with it now. But if you look for 99% of human history or more, the child was shaped in the environment of the family or the extended family or you know maybe if you know you're you know you're you know you're an orphan your little orphan annie you know then you're in an orphanage you, you're like a child slave or whatever but you there was not this massive external influencing most intimate parts of people's minds as the parents become 
the me generation, you know, or even earlier, no longer are really connected with their children. And it's a burden. It's not the most important role and responsibility you probably have in your natural lifetime is to raise your children. And it's maybe the most difficult, but it's fundamentally the most rewarding. Um, okay. And then, as I already mentioned, once you're on, you can't get off. Um, so with yeah. with this scenario, up until maybe 100 years ago, there was a few things that most people did in life. You were probably a farmer and or a hunter and or an apprentice of some sort as a child, and you were taught in a specific trade that went down generationally. And you, you know, followed that trade. Now, uh, trades and apprenticeships have pretty much disappeared in the last century. But these things taught skills of independence. Whereas today, everything is based on dependence, where everybody is uh, domesticated. So you don't, you know, most people don't know how to go out and source their own food. They think that food comes from a wrapper at the grocery store. And if the grocery stores collapse tomorrow, if they shut off the food supply, most people would go into a panic and wouldn't know how to get food. If you did kill the food, how would you get it from the dead animal to your table? How would you skin and butcher the animal? Most people today don't have this knowledge and you know going out there and learning all of this over the last week and a half or two with my son brought it all back from childhood when I used to go out you know and and do this stuff when I got my own deer at 14 but now it's brought it back fresh into my mind yes I can do this yes and, and it's so instinctual when you get out there and you're actually doing it you become, you know, people are so, you know, well, I couldn't handle the blood and guts and blah, blah, blah. Actually, yes, you can. It might bother you for the first five or ten minutes. But then you become so one with the animal that you're preparing to feed yourself and your family with that the blood and stuff no longer even phases you. You're, you're just so busy learning and getting intimate with this animal, learning how to to cut it and following the the, li the different lines of the muscle and what becomes different cuts of meat and pulling off the sinew and the and this stuff and you you it pulls you back to reality to where humans came from for thousands of years before this century and especially since 1938 with Aldous Huxley's uh, Brave New World and this whole, uh, you know, blueprint for him, you know, that it became for MK Ultra. So, you know, it's, it's really refreshing, you know, and I think, you know, for people are, that are interested, I think it's, it's something that I'm interested in pursuing as far as like teaching people how to do those specific things again so that we can get pulled back into reality. Yeah. And, and just on that tip, and I'm going to, uh, go back to the slides here. I didn't uh, didn't share that last one, but yeah. And, and look at you know, were talking about a uh, culture, and look at say the movie like The Deer Hunter or Deliverance, right? I mean, what did that do to make people that go out in the woods and hunt? It, it basically created this image of these you know these demonic or retarded you know rednecks or this or that, and made it something 
fearful or scary, right? How many horror movies are set in the woods or in small towns, right? So, you know, so, so, and these things have, can have a tremendous influence, especially if you're not, um, you know, you're not sort of raised in that culture. Um, okay. We'll just skip ahead here. And, uh, but anyways, um, so that's the last thing, the magic theater of the mind, but again, like Steppenwolf, the band, right. Easy rider, all these symbolic things fit together with the whole sixties, 1967, the 13 year, right. And then how that exactly ended. And it was like a, a it was like a mythological process, right? The, the hero's journey, except for in this case, the hero ended up as either, you know, this totally uh, self-centered, um, you know, uh, you know, 1970s kind of, a, you know, self-help me generation. Oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave my wife and kids and go find myself, or I'm going to leave my husband and kids and go live on a commune or, you know, or else, you know, totally burned out or else a, a heroin junkie or dead. Um, and, you know, they started to change the composition of the LSD. You see that at Woodstock with the really bad acid that was given at Woodstock. And then at the end of the 60s, right, the mythical end with Altamont, with the ritual sacrifice um, there, you have the, the really bad acid, STP, right? This stuff is, you know, it's just intense, like psychosis. And people are taking huge amounts of it because it has a longer... Uh, um, you know, onset time. So there you go. Um, but anyways, um, this is from, uh, um, this is from decode, encode, engage. So these are methodologies of, of influencing and shaping culture through the media, um, which sort of came, um, through, advertising, but um, Swen Hughes, um, you know, he's not just targeting the audiences, he's targeting people's minds, decode, encode, engage. Um, and this decode, engage technique, a verbalization technique also, um, they, they can show significant changes in the target population within a period of 24 hours. So this is a type of messaging or media whatever you know whatever context it's put in it could be music it could be a movie like magical mystery tour um and so this this model goes from advertising to information warfare um and i'll just read a quote uh swen hughes um a weaponized narrative is a form of non-kinetic warfare that seeks to undermine an opponent's supporters identity and will it is messaging that generates confusion or political and social schisms that are in line with the creator's tactical and strategic aims. It is language that is designed to create specific perception and behavior change to help one side against the other. Doesn't that sound a bit like the 1960s counterculture? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny is uh, Autumn just mentioned uh, in the chat, I'll survive, but if it gets like The Walking Dead, there's no point of survival. And that's kind of what we're getting at here. The, the deadheads are The Walking Dead. They're the people who are gratefully dead. They are under a drug-induced coma, and they've 
lost their sense of direction, and the, the Bible breaks down the dead, those who are dead in mind and have lost the truth. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just to, you know, uh, amplify that, I mean, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll get to all, you know, we, we go over an hour, right? You're not to try to keep this an hour, are you? No, go ahead. Okay, because I got all night, man. Because I, I told my wife, it's, it's, it's anniversary with Jan. He's getting me, you know, emerald cufflinks or something. <laughs> I thought you were getting me emerald cufflinks. What happened? No, dude, I know. It, it's my anniversary with you. So you have to get... You're you're the uh, you're the leader, right? I'm the I'm the the guest. So you know, the guest is I would say the feminine role. So I would say that you, you the gift goes for the wife. I mean, to the husband, or whatever. Okay, uh, that was a little confusing, and that's what it's supposed to be, right? Um, but anyway, so decode is decoding is the transmission side. So you decode. I'm sorry, encoding. I had that out of order. I'm sorry. So encode is where you encode your message into a specific medium, whether television, film, book, uh, political presentation, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Then the receiver decodes that, which means that they translate that input into their own thought stream and their own structure, right? So their own mental structure. Um, and then the engage is sort of the, 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 the little spin, right? Because encode, decode are normal kind of communication theory terms. But the engage part is, we'll get to it in a minute, is, is really where it's used to start to shape and transform society. Okay, and uh, moving on. Um, and by the way, uh, the books, I had a couple people order books. Um, I, I'm getting another uh, printing because the, the, the cheapo printer I had just did a really horrible job. So, but I'm always waiting. Just letting you know, get um, yourself an HP printer. They're awesome. Okay. For all I can print out books. Can I bind them? Uh, well, it'll do, you know, I have an HP laser printer that I bought like 10 years ago and it prints both sides and it'll print a whole book in like eight, 10 minutes. So, I, but to sell to somebody. Okay. Well, I try. Well, I mean, it, well, if you're going to do that, you should probably go to Lulu or, or, yeah. Amazon, whatever the hell it's called, or something. Yeah, it's like it's almost like twenty bucks for a hardcover, one for the author's cut. That's that's expensive, man. But so I thought about making it myself, you know, with like raw, raw hide or something. <laughs> but anyways, um, so we'll get back to the magical mystery tour here. Um, so and I'll just honestly like there are some pretty innovative and interesting songs in this movie it's a very interesting audio production um you know for the movie but the roll up for the mystery tour you know and i'm i'm not going to try to sing it i guess i could sing it but i'm not i'm not feeling the beatles mood to sing right now but uh it's a magical mystery tour roll up roll up for the mystery tour it you know and this is when the beatles are transitioning right from the lovable mop tops into the psychedelic gurus and and this happened in very short span of time but you know we see that same model again and again and again all the disney kids you know uh, miley cyrus you know on and on and on they start out as a certain thing they they're warped they're changed into something else 
And it's usually targeted people at, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old. And then by the time they're 16, 17, their idol has started changing. And just uh, do, when they're most... Do you think there's any uh, coincidence with uh, Paul McCartney's death and the bringing in of uh, Billy Shears at that point as his replacement? Um, well, you know, I, uh, I, I, to be honest, like I haven't really gotten into the whole Paul is dead thing. But yeah, Paul, there, there's like, for example, in the last uh, scene of the movie, the last where they get, they're walking down this huge, uh, you know, stairway and everyone's right. wearing formal gowns. Paul has a black rose. Everyone else has red roses. The wall, there's, a, there's a number of hints in that. The walrus was Paul and all this, this and that. So there's. Well, and, a, well, and the new Paul, Billy Shears, or, uh, you know, uh, was about six or eight inches taller than Paul McCartney as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, um, I'm neither confirming nor denying that, but it, it is interesting. And it would go along with all of this idea of uh, reversal, right? Writing things backwards, having these kind of deceptions or perceptual things where, you know, and that's part of the sleight of hand. It's also part of magic itself with a K in the Crowleyan sense. And so, you know, and so there's all kinds of ritualistic aspects of this and um you know maybe one day i'll go over you know all the numerology and all the dates of all this stuff it's really there's a whole bunch of stuff it's it's looks to me like this stuff was thought of probably in the 30s 40s and 50s um even into the early 60s and then deployed i don't i don't think this whole 60s counterculture thing just you know they just thought it up like in like 1965 hey let's let's uh, let's promote hippies you know i think it was a long time coming at least on a conceptual level correct but, um, but but anyways um so with the movie like i said it begins just kind of inane jokes and just you know just kind of silly stuff and these guys they're just goofing off and oh these guys are so lovable and just such fun guys and yeah this movie looks like it's oh i like the beatles but this movie just looks like it's just crap right um but there are a lot of symbols and which i i trace through the movie which uh i don't think we'll get to that today uh, just because I don't want to show film clips and all that, but there's a number of symbols that appear in the beginning that clue in, and these are things that are flashed just for, you know, a few seconds, but they're, they, they target the mind when it goes into this sort of dark programming phase of the film, these symbolic references are there, um, but you really have to watch, you know, like frame by frame to see that, but absolutely that subliminal messaging is there. Um, but there's all other kinds of symbolism as well, right? Um, and some of it, again, it's that idea of humor. This is just silly. We're just a bunch of lovable mop tops and, you know, and they're, they're wizards. Oh, we're just uh, the wizard. And Paul has a red nose. Paul's a red nose too, right? That's another <laughs> awesome thing with Paul. But Paul's a red nose. But it morphs into, like with George Harrison, and when they enter the magical theater of the mind, George Harrison's song goes into really disturbing footage, even frame by frame, like kids dancing around in circles, wearing masks and all kinds of stuff that I, it, it may have had an effect on me when I was a kid. Cause like I said, I couldn't, it like, I was like, Whoa, um, it really hit me. Um, and, and I, I, like I said, I could not get the images out of my mind for like days, you know, and I'm not really like a big visualizer, but anyways. And so, you know, George Harrison, again, he's, Oh, he's the really nice Beatle. 
he's the spiritual deal. He's the gentle guy. He's the, he's like, you know, he's the teddy bear. He's not wild like the other guys, you know? Um, but in this film, he is, he does play the role of the dark sorcerer. Um, and it's since the Beatles were cultural sorcerers, right? They were weaving magic spells that transformed Western society permanently. Um, and we're living right now. This is real time that this is what this was working towards. We're on our way there. Um, I don't want to say how close we are. Um, I'm trying to be real upbeat and positive, but it could be, you know, could be like next week, man, you know, or next year, but it's here. I mean, I, I don't think anyone can deny that this stuff, even what I said about Pokemon go, and then you have your contract tracing apps based off of that. Da, da, da. I mean, everything we talked about is manifesting real time in front of everybody. And so uh, anyways, move on. Um, unless you want to chime in there. No, go ahead. Okay. I'm just trying to yeah get through this here. So, um, and just the lyrics um, roll up. That's an invitation roll up for the mystery tour roll up to make a reservation roll up for the mystery tour. So obviously a double entendre, right? Roll your joint up, um, be rolled up in the carpet, you know, thrown in a ditch, um, you know, roll up your joint, take your drugs, uh, whatever that's there. Of course, um, magical mystery tour is coming to take you away, coming to take you away. So it's actually, you know, within the song in the context of the whole movie um, with the subliminal programming coming to take you away, takes on a very different type of, uh, resonance because look at all the people that you know it was well i mean i know people like this you know we probably all do maybe we've been like that ourselves where oh you, you know man if you want to really expand your mind you know put on the wall you know i know these guys uh you know that were on a military they're in the military and they used to like take acid and you know and listen to pink floyd the wall like every night or almost every night you know what is that doing to your brain man i don't even want to think but the Beatles, same thing, right? You know, it's promoted as like, oh, this is, this is like this expansion. And within that dream time state of the LSD experience, the Beatles, like Hendrix or some of these other things, you can go into that trip state where suddenly the song becomes like this three, four dimensional world, right? So that's there, right? That experience is there. And I would posit that to a certain extent, they, this was understood, some of the effects of the music would have to create these kind of experiences. Um, the last one, the Magical Mystery Tour is dying to take you away. Dying to take you away, take you today. So dying to take you away, right? Like the walrus, the walrus in Lewis Carroll's poem, you know, uh, this idea of the sacrifice also of the, of, of the, even the listener, right? The listener who's not part of the beautiful people, the listener who's just some pimply face, you know, high school dork, you know, but decides to trip and watch the movie. So they almost become, you know, this walrus-like creature, right, in, in their own perception of themselves. Um, and then the, it's a, so there's sort of a symbolic murder of the, of the, um, of this thing. And then, so look at these funny, happy masks. Um, what do you think, Jan? They look a bit creepy or not? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You notice Paul, and Paul is wearing the black, the black fur coat. And then look at George right? George um, is, you know, that looks like something out of, a, you know, um, uh, you know, a medieval painting, right, of, of hell, 
or something, you know, it's a, so yeah, so you can see where you, you know, it, that's actually kind of a, it's kind of a creepy picture, man. You know, I wouldn't take my five-year-old to see that, but anyways, um, so lots of symbolism, which, you know, I won't get into all of it, but we can see, you know, George Harrison, you know, multiplying um, all these different numbers and colors um, and these symbolic um, realms that are that are brought into the encoding process, right? So in this case, the encoding is encoding to change your mind and potentially push you into a different kind of a space, perhaps a very negative space, um, and potentially to seal parts of yourself off, right? These walls of fear or anxiety associated sometimes with the breakdown of personality with uh, psychedelic experiences can create psychic walls that can be almost impossible to jump over or move behind, right? Because there's so much uh, connected with them, it's just you just want to make it subconscious. Um, there's the Eggman. There we have John Lennon, the Eggman, um, which is also kind of a weird thing with the white head. Of course, the egg, fragile egg, right? Humpty Dumpty stood on a wall. They're standing on a wall, not in this picture, but you know. So there's your mind. You're shattering the the fragile eggshell mind, right? As Jim Morrison says, go shatter the child's fragile eggshell mind. Um, and here's John Lennon. Um, so this is, there's a scene he's on the bus with this like little girl, maybe five, six years old, sitting on his lap. It's a bit of a weird, awkward scene. Um, it's something that probably today wouldn't fly. Um, it's not, it's a little creepy, but yeah. he's also wearing this hat. And he's demanding with, that she guess what uh, her present is or something. Yep. And look at the hat he's wearing with the two devil horns and the heart in between, right? Um, so that's John's hat there when he's on the bus. Um, um, and then we can, I think I'm almost the end here. Um, so, and hygiene of the mind, right? So. Uh, I'm just going to check for something. Keep going. Yeah, sure. And Jan, if you want to, I can, I can take a little break. You can go ahead and dive in, man, if you want to. Um, or I can just, yeah as you like. Oh, no, I was just grabbing a uh, book here from uh, Thomas Sue Harriet. Uh, the memoirs of Billy Shears, which I recommend people check out, but that's a whole other discussion that we can go into. But I tried to get Thomas Sue Harriet on the show, but he was only willing to go on uh, Mark Devlin's show or something like that at the time. Huh. Yeah, I uh, unfortunately I haven't really been following this stuff, so I'm probably like, you know, I'm like coming out of the closet, you know, it's like, you know, I, I would recommend doing uh, a couple of days worth of research on the fall McCartney, Billy Shears thing. There is a substantial amount of evidence to support it. And there was an Italian forensic team probably 10, 15 years ago that uh, had looked at had looked at the two from a forensic standpoint. And they had also concluded that there was no way that the two were the same people. Yeah, I, I'm familiar with a lot of the basic stuff, like the, you know the car crash, um, right? And, and and of course Billy Shears actually being a much better musician, um, but yeah, it is one of those things like I'll have to look into it. it it's kind of one of those, you know, here's me saying this, but it's kind of like a, a hot button issue almost in terms of like it's like for some people, oh, there's only two genders, you know, or you know, 9 <laughs> <laughs> or X X and X Y. Sorry, 
yeah, 9-11 was an inside job or, or you know, whatever, that, that's almost like, oh, you know, the, that person believes Oh, you're a all... conspiracy theorist. And that's one of those conspiracy theorists, like, and they, they use some of these things, right? Um, even that famous Cass Sunstein, uh, you know, thing about this, you know, he lists these uh, conspiracy theories. And one, he includes one like, sunlight is good for you. Thanks, Cass. Um, but he goes, you know, these these conspiracy theories. And, and and so, you know, and I will definitely look into it. I just don't want to, like, you know, say yay or nay until I've actually done enough research. So it's like, well, I thought Hans was, was legit, but I think he thinks Paul is dead, man. You know, um, whatever. But um, <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, so hygiene of the mind, right? So mental hygiene, um, which is a really big topic, but mental hygiene is that ties into pedomorphosis also pedomorphosis correct pedomorphosis 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 yeah no uh what i said uh, a similar meaning it probably has a different shade of meaning so, oh okay because there's a uh, i was saying like actually changing form so okay often, yeah because morph you know form etc but but anyways um so this idea of hygiene of the mind right this is programmed into unesco it's programmed into so many social and cultural programs it's programmed into so much reconditioning um psychotherapy electroshock therapy uh you know human experimentation on and on and on and on and on right but thomas Clauston of edinburgh you know some time ago uh coined this is what he said he coined the term without hygiene of the mind every social system among men and women oh sorry would fall to pieces so i left out the word fall Maybe because of Paul McCartney, subliminal. Um, but uh, so he's basically saying without hygiene of the mind, but hygiene of the mind is a imposition and a reconstruction, a reconfiguring, a, 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 a premising of what you can think, what you can't think, etc. cetera. Um, Gustav Laban, the crowd, which is a very much connected with this idea and the necessity of uh, mental hygiene. Uh, the slave of all unconscious activity of his spinal cord, which the hypnotizer directs at will. The conscious personality has entirely vanished. Will and discernment are lost. Okay. So is that not the state of people that are either, you know, um, you know, in the throes of the mass media spectacle virtual reality or those say you're following you know you be you know you're a hardcore deadhead or you know you're hardcore into the punk scene or, or whatever it may be you know you un, the slave of the unconscious activity of his spinal cord you're you're no longer your 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 uh your you know your frontal cortex is basically out of commission in terms of having a conscious role or connection in directing your life which is what it's supposed to do you know, so, um, and then, um, let's see, I think that's the last one. Yeah. So I just real quick here and, <clears throat> sure. um, and I, you know, I didn't go into all the magical mystery tour stuff cause that I thought we could maybe do that another time, but, um, anyways, the simulacrum, um, so the simulacrum is a copy without original, a representation without a real, okay. A representation without a real. It is a model of something that in itself does not exist in reality, yet it purports to be a model 
of reality is not the psychedelic experience, potentially just that, a simulacrum. You think you're connecting with nature. You think you're connecting with spirit. You think you go into this new amazing world, yet that world is a simulacrum. It is not the real world you're connecting with. You're connecting with this false or constructed uh, world that operates also on the subconscious, the collective ideation of the society. Um, society of the Spectacles, I've talked about this before, um, but so it, it's a very important idea, sort of the derealization of actual objects in reality, their reality being sucked away. <clears throat> and Rilke talks about that also in doing elegies, how their objects are no longer real, right? When you make something, when you have something, they, there's a resonance, right? So there's, anyways, that's a, another topic. But um, so, but, you know, Gita Bord is a great analyst, but he is a hardcore Marxist. And so he founded the situation, Situationist International, which is a, a means to destabilize the society through doing these kind of situations, these events, these, uh, you know, blending reality and fantasy, stepping into, you know, creating, you know, uh, you know whether it's, you know, acting, you can think of, uh, um, what's his name, uh, the, the guy that the Borat dude. Um, Cohen did. Yeah, Borat. So he's he's kind of he's kind of an example of a somebody situation. just asked me to start watching him again. I watched a few of his things maybe a decade ago. Yeah, but as a Gita Board has a lot of good theories. But his goal situation situation international is to destroy the bourgeoisie idea of happiness or the bougies <laughs> idea of happiness and bourgeoisie. What is that? Well, that's the middle class. That's basically the backbone of the society. It's not the very wealthy. And it's not the the very poor, um, although the the lines for this keep getting redrawn. I mean, is, is it, you know, look at the Kulaks, right? The Kulak peasants were wiped out in the Ukrainian uh, Holodomor, you know, at least 20, maybe 60 million killed. Um, and they were they were peasants, that, that, but they were autonomous farmers on the land. Is that what you mean by bourgeoisie? Perhaps. Um, 1968, parent-student revolt, the board was also very influential in that and that's um and i hope i didn't um talk too fast but i'll go back into this stuff too there's, there's a lot more there but um all right uh, so pull this back together with the 10 directions and uh you know reality and pulling people back in yeah so one thing that i've really been uh, can you get a little closer to your mic please sure, absolutely, yeah so so one thing i've really been focused on is creating a life or a way to really not only face everything, all circumstances, all situations, but also to start to, I think, a healing, to return to what we're meant to be as, as human beings, right? And so there's a lot of different um, aspects to this, but uh, one thing that, I, I, that I've, I've found to be a good, uh, sort of a, just a starting off point um, is this thing of the 10 directions and the three times. So um, we actually uh, find this um, in, uh, you know, semi-ancient like Sanskrit, uh, you know, textbooks on geography. So it's not a religious term at all. But first of all, just think of your body, right? We have in front of you, behind you, to your right, to your left. And then there's also these cross or 
auxiliary, you know, you say these, these, uh, these corner directions, which are also important too, right? You think about that. They're also, they're kind of separate. These are the, the, these other uh, quadrants, right? The Northeast, Southeast, et cetera. Um, and then the above and below. So what are you standing on? What is the ground you're standing on? Where are you, right? What's above you? Um, and that relates to drawing yourself back into the real world, not only by, um, you know, starting to just observe and just connect with your own body, just going back to that basic level, right? I mean, if become zombie apocalypse, it's going to be, it's, this is, you got to deal with this, right? Unless you, you know, you got like an army behind you. I mean, it's really going to be you in the real world, not in the, uh, you know, the video game uh, space. And so what's above you? Well, that's obviously just even being aware of what's above your physical space. What are you standing on? You know, so then you realize, well, I'm, you know, you're supported, right? You're supported by the earth. You're supported by a chair. Um, but also what's below you? What's the foundation of your life? What is, you know, what do you almost take for granted that is actually founding your life? What is your ground? Is your ground perhaps not stable? Or maybe you need to change, right? And then what's above you, right? What, what are your aspirations? You know, um, what, what do you, what is your higher self or your, you know, the, the best part of yourself? Um, but also what's above you, what rules you, what, what is influencing you, what is shaping or creating your experience? Um, and so that's just something, even just by noticing that, just noticing these directions and really being aware of your body in the physical space, it's very good just to get a, as a tactical awareness and really starting to get the sensory organs and the, you know, uh, your, your sense of your kinesthetic sense and even that spatial sense of someone coming up behind you or next to you, or just knowing where you are and being able to read situations very quickly. Um, but of course, you know, the other uh, thing to look at those just starting to, you know, ground yourself and realizing how much of this stuff is, we're not even aware of it, right? Um, and then the three times, that's past, present, and future, right? So, you know, you talk about the, uh, you know, the power of the now. Let's live in the now, man. You know, and to live in the now, you know, yes, you can live in the now, but it's not that easy because to really live in the now, you have to go, you have to be completely present and you have to, you also have to you know, go through all the other things that are influencing you, you may not be aware of, right? There's all kinds, you know, your mind is going to wander here, there, you may have, you know, suppressed trauma, stress, anxiety, whatever. So just saying, oh, I'm going to live in the now. Well, of course you did now, it's just, just, it's, you know, we're already in different nows, right? So, but just seeing yourself with this directional access and in noticing your, the past, present, and the future, you're always, you're referencing the past. You are you know, yes, time is always moving, but you have your own past. You also have your own history. You have what you're connecting to as the history of your culture, your ancestors. You have, you know, and but you also have how you experience the flow of time. You know, are you so much caught up in trying to do your day-to-day, -day, you know, you know, rat race or, 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 you know, texting or, you know, Facebook or sexting to Hunter Biden or something. And you're, you're not, really you know your your past is your present because you're just in these you know these chains of things you're not really here in this 
world. You're you're in this thing, so you're actually constantly in the past uh, of these messages, right? But we're always moving into the future, right? We have our futures that we could be afraid of. Uh, you know, I'm, I have to go, you know, meet somebody, I have social anxiety, or, you know, we're all going to die of COVID. So that's an example of your relation to the future. Um, but the future is also your horizons. It's like, what do you want for humanity, right? But it is centrally, what are you doing now? And what you're creating your future, you are on that timeline. So that's to me is how you get into the now. Then, because you, you know, you cannot, you, you cannot disgorge yourself of the past and the future, the present. I mean, you, you can maybe transcend that potentially, but you're not going to get there by having like a cut up film where, oh, I'm in the now where I'm really happy. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm partying and I'm taking ecstasy and I feel great. Um, you know, and I'm in the now. And then what's your future? What do you, you know what I mean? So, so, so that's, um, yeah. What's, that's what's the future that you're setting up with that behavior, you know, one, two, five, ten 10 years out, it, does it lead anywhere? Are you pulling yourself back into reality or are you calling reality a facade of of the senses and you need to believe in primacy of consciousness where the world is only a reflection of you you are not of the world and which you know what is the most egoic thing that you can possibly believe that the world that you are of the world or that the world is all a reflection of you that we each have our own agency to act as ourselves, or everyone is just a mere reflection of you and nothing more. And so when we get out of that egoic sense that everything in the world is, is merely a reflection of ourselves and that you know reality is, is real, then we have to face the next step as well that, well, if reality is real, then you, Hans, have your own agency and everybody else has their own agency to act as they wish in that reality. And then it pulls us back out of that primacy of consciousness, partying, drugs, ecstasy, you know, raves, ayahuasca, LSD, you know, uh, MKUltra, Subproject 58, ma uh, Magic Mushrooms, etc., and it makes us focus on what we are truly seeking, which is freedom. Is freedom in these drugs and blowing our minds? Or is it establishing a way that we are actually independent in the future? Is it going and buying LSD from your you know, drug dealer? Or is it learning how to hunt or learning some skill that truly makes, you know, or farm, etc., some skill that truly pulls you out of that, excuse the term, matrix, you know. And, yeah. you know, and interestingly, you know, hunting with my son last week, when you are out there, you know, going through the bush and tracking a deer, you're in that here and now the whole time you're doing that. You don't have time to think of, all this other stuff going on, you're tracking that animal. You're right there. You're living in the moment. You're paying attention to your surroundings. You're, you're becoming one with that animal, learning to track it. Once you 
once you've tracked it and got it, then you're learning to, you know, then you're, you're hunting it. Then you're one with the animal literally is your arms are up inside of it, field dressing it. Then you're one with the animal and the real and reality, the here and now, when you're skinning it, when you're butchering it, when you're, you know, putting all the cuts of meat in the freezer, all of these things pull you back to that reality. And then you can forecast, okay, well, is this something that's going to benefit my future? Is LSD going to benefit my future? Or is having this supply of food and, and this knowledge of being able to be independent something that, you know, as I went into it, okay, oh my God, I have to butcher this deer. And how do I do this to now I've butchered a deer and now I'm not afraid to do it again. Now I can get out there and do it again. Now I'm looking forward to elk season. Now I'm looking forward to quail season, etc. And that independence. And then every time you're out there actually in nature and understanding the cycle of life, that all life comes from death and it's this exchange, then you are in that that moment of the here and now. No, exactly. And and so, um, you know, one of the things is that, you know, people are, well, have been, you know, you're looking for this thing. Hey, there you go. You know, um, <laughs> that's my, you know, that's my son's first buck right there. Shot a week ago today. Well, and having to learn even how to do this. And, and just to interrupt very quickly, and then I'll pass it back to you. The leftist would see this as some form of trophy, but this is actually the memory of this animal that put this food on the table that you are not forgetting how it gave you life. You know, you took its life so that it could give you life, and you didn't go to the store and get it out of a wrapper. We know exactly to the spot where this animal came from. You know, we, after we took its life, we sat there and thanked it, and we prepared it. I mean, all of it was in that moment of the now. Yeah, and that's kind of what I, you know, that's a great, great point on, because that's a little bit what I'm saying, which I can, you know, elaborate uh, f further. But, uh, you know, the, when you're hunting, you're what I'm saying that 10 directions of three times, right? That experience hunting, you're in that space. So that that whole experience, in a sense, you are in the now, right? I mean, obviously, you're there, but that is this connection, this the rea the things that are real and actually being able to take care of yourself, to be able to make your own furniture, to be able to <laughs> be self-sufficient, which used to be normal, right? And all these things, oh, it's recreation. And, well, I feel so good when I do that. Well, I mean, it's not just taking LSD. It could be just, you know, rushing after some kind of a corporate job or just being caught up in stress or lost in social media or, you know, subsumed in, you know, negative dysfunctional relationships or, you know, or caught in the, uh, you know, in, in the, um, the pincers of the global, the global new world order, um, satanic, uh, alchemical uh, control grid that's being erected as we speak and just returning to where you are and it, it just to be clear and then that just helps because how many things you know people get into it if you really stop and think for a minute wait I don't necessarily need to do this or maybe I don't need to be so stressed out about stuff and maybe I just want to connect with being a living human being 
without trying to be this person or that person, but just because that's ultimately it comes down to it. You're on the land, you're on the earth. That's it, right? If you got nothing else, you have to, you know, you're naked, you could still survive. You don't need all of this. But how many people can even enter into that space, which it's a challenge too, right? It's real. You're holding blood. You're actually facing death. You're not just tripping and reading the book of the dead. Oh, I, <laughs> right. I'm ready. You know, and notice the Tibetan book of the dead. Um, that is, that is a manual that is recited to a person to the body after the person has actually died. They believe that the, you know, the consciousness or soul is nearby the body. That's a manual that's read to the dead body and you know you never know there's other traditions that you know it could it is possible that you know the person's you know some of the person's energy is there after death but it's used as a manual for inner exploration what's that gonna do you know we're gonna get caught in the bardos the hell realm you're gonna you know it's it's a manual for deconstructing the mind giving children tools that don't have the strength to survive on their own that are from cushy suburban households that think electricity and, and food and water and cars all just manifest, right? You know, tripping, getting back to nature to dead show. You got to go, Oh, you lose your car keys. Oh, suddenly, Oh, there's not, it's not so natural anymore. Is it bro? <laughs> well, let me read. Uh, okay. So professor Neil Whitehead, he was like the sixth guest I ever had in, uh, December 2008, I believe, so 12 years ago nearly. He died, oh, 10 years ago or so. But he wrote, Shamanism is a burgeoning obsession for middle, the middle classes around the globe. Its presentation in popular books, TV specials, and on the Internet is dominated by the presumed psychic and physical benefits that shamanic techniques can bring. This Heightened interest has required a persistent purification of the ritual practices of those who inspire the feverish quest for personal meaning and fulfillment. Ironically, given the self-improvement motivations that have brought so many into popular understanding of shamanism, two defining aspects of shamanism in Amazonia, blood, i.e. violence, and tobacco, have simply been erased from such representations. Such erasure is not only a vain self-deception, but more important, it is a recapitulation of colonial ways of knowing through both the denial of radical cultural difference and a refusal to think through its consequences. Hmm. Well, I don't know so much it's colonial um, as either, you know, because, you know, someone, you know, uh, in academia, I do have, I have some like really expensive academic research stuff I've done that, that's available. The books are like 500 bucks or something. So, I'm, well, well, he's, uh, he's talking about really like, you know, and he lived with the Kanema, the dark shamans in Amazon. He was a victim of a Kanema attack, whitewashed into this neo-shamanic, you know, uh, pseudo-shamanic nonsense that the middle-class people follow today that they think is real shamanism and it's totally removed from that and you know and so therefore he's arguing it's it's in that sense it's the same as the you know uh colonial measures of the conquest of the amazonia in the first place yeah no i wanted just to what i was going to get to is that 
you know, this is actually Boazian anthropology, which talks about cultural relativism, right? Then you have Margaret Mead um, and a lot of the work um, like Alan Lomax, which came up with the scale, which all the, this guy actually, Alan Lomax was a, was a genius. I mean, his, his Cantometrics is an amazing system because he created this num, num, numerical classification of all these different features of music and tied them in with particular social organizations like a tribe of this or that, you know, he had, and, and it's, you know, and then you've got, you know, Margaret Mead, of course, became part of cybernetics, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and so there, this idea of a quote unquote premising the other, um, but also to deliberately promote that, to promote this, um, you know, there can be, you know, you call whitewashing. I think it's engaged from the Boisian anthropology because, and then also this idea of, oh, well, we can't appear to be too harsh on the natives who may be criticized. Um, and I think maybe the higher ups, you know, like shadowy figures like Mead or Bateson, and you know, people, you know, now are, are going to be revivalism. They're going to they're going to be setting the trend. And if you want to work, you want to publish. If you want, you know, if you want to fit in or if you want to join the happy dream, then get into shamanism. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's another, it's another long way around to what you ba like what you basically want. Um, when we talked about this over the phone, I said that, you know, the shamanism go outside, look at this earth, your body, your bones, you know, you are, you're going to go into the earth, your, your minerals, your, your part of this earth, you know, look at the sun, there's your element. Look at the water. Look at the trees. Start to feel that. Connect with nature. Connect with your body. Connect with that. There's your shamanic experience. Um, you know, if you're open to it enough and also able to get past all the inner noise or all these other things, right, that to a certain extent have been programmed into people, um, you know, not being able to accept yourself, thinking something's wrong with you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or just not being able to actually see where you are. Because you're so disembodied, you're so much on the magic bus in the virtual world um, that you can't you can't do that. Um, and um, let me just yeah, you know, just real quick, I want to uh, share this this article here. Um, and there, there's other cases of this, but this is an example of these like deadhead murders, um, you know. And so there's this documentary on it, which I'll have to check out. Um, but there's other stories, a tragic case, so many unanswered questions, but there's other examples of this. I, I, I haven't seen a documentary. I'm going to think it may be a, a kind of a limited hangout, a whitewash, but also a way to reintroduce the Grateful Dead to the collective psyche, right? I mean, uh, it's a way to get new people interested, to be attracted. Look at that symbolism, right? Look at that, the back of the bus there with the the, the, the skull and the flowers and the, uh, you know, the, um, the Rosicrucian and other types of uh, mystery schools they're, uh, they're involved with. So, um, yeah, and I'll, I'll stop that. But uh, so that's, you know, um, and then like the Beatles, I didn't get into the whole Crawlian thing. I think that the Crawlian connection with the Beatles is slightly overemphasized. The really important one is the process church. The process church connection is central. You know, uh, you know, and Crowleyanism is, you know, it's OTO, it's this, but the process church where both, which is actually a Gnostic, it's a, 
ancient Gnostic heresy where there is a permanent evil. Evil is just as powerful as good. There, the universe has both permanent evil and permanent good, and they're just balanced. Okay, and that's why in the process church, as you get into it further, <clears throat> on the surface looks Christian, and then you worship both Christ and Satan at the same time because they're on the same team. And then from there, you know, you know, you end up really pretty. Uh, I'm just pretty uh, fucked in the head. I had to swear there. Okay. <laughs> I did that deliberately. Um, and so um, let me just play um, a couple audio clips here. And I, I had this huge uh, collection of all the source material of uh, all the guys in the dead talking in, in a, you know, sort of unguarded moment. So this is Owsley and I'm just going to play this on my laptop and hopefully this will be audible. descriptions in the uh, in the books by uh, the Rosicrucians and uh, and the Freemasons and it made sense of all the different uh, occult things that I'd read it was it was the introduction to magic it was it was a a pathway to another place and it seemed to um, it seemed to give me access to mental powers that were uh, written about and talked about both amongst the Hindus and amongst the ancient uh, uh, alchemists. I don't want to get dinged if somebody plays too much of that. Oh, this is not copyright. All right. No, this is this is uh, public domain. So he kind of called out, it was magic, and he pronounced it very clearly, magic, not like, oh, you know, my girlfriend and I had a magical evening, you know, listening to Kenny G. It was, no, this is magic with a K as in occult ritual working. And he says, and he, what examples does he use? Does he say, oh, it's like, uh, you know, uh, the great cloud of annoying, these great Christian mystics. No, he says, Rosicrucianism and Freemasonry and occult. And he says, my powers come from these occult sources. And he, so he basically lays it out right there. Um, and, um, and he goes, and he says, that he calls it the outfit. He doesn't say the social movement, an outfit. What's an outfit? Like an outfit, like a, like a battalion? You know, the term outfit 
you know, it's a business or uh, maybe a business, but, you know, outfit has a connotation of almost being like a military unit, you know, an experimental psychological warfare uh, unit. Um, I'm just your uh, thoughts on that. Well, yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's very direct and straight to the point right there, what it's all about. It's about the left-hand path and the occult and Crowleyan-style satanic magic, Sabotai Zevi, all of that stuff. It's very uh, clear, but that's what the dead were. Yeah, and I'm just going to play one last little clip here. Uh, so this is so this is Jerry Garcia in 1992 talking about transhumanism. OK, uh, and so here's Jerry talking about transhumanism. And this is a big you know, he's a man of the people. You know, he is he is on our side. Jerry's going to set us free. Oh, he's yeah. Jerry. He's going to set us free as uh, un uh, Uncle Sam playing in a rock and roll band. Yeah. So I'll just play this real quick. Beings anatomically for several hundred thousand years. Wandering around, hunting and gathering, yeah. and then suddenly, at the same time they started painting the cave, right. started multiplying. So right. what this paleontologist that I quoted has the theory that the first art and caves were really um, psychedelic experiences. Yeah. And the reason that they were is so that, because the tribal encyclopedia, the amount of information that people needed to know in order to move to a new way of life, Right. Suddenly increased. Them. That's right. Yeah, that's, so a, good, that's a good notion. Yeah, either, yeah, the point is there's more information now. Then you can pass along comfortably in an oral tradition, right. say a strictly speaking culture. Well, that's a nobody, problem. Nobody's, nobody's delineating. Nobody's constantly. Right. There's a lot of extraneous stuff, like for instance, the satellites that measure the atmosphere. Yeah. There's billions and billions and billions of bytes of data, only maybe 2% of which are actually useful. They don't know what the rest are. Hold on, I'm gonna crank it up here a little bit because people are saying they're not hearing it. Or are you down there? Oh shit! All right, I'm I'm gonna crank up your volume all the ways just so people can hear that better. It goes on. Basically, just to, I know it's a little bit confusing. I'll just kind of summarize. They're talking about, they talk about hunter-gatherer, how men lived as thousands of years as hunter-gatherers. And how did we evolve? By taking psychedelics. Right. Cave well, and right. that's that's just like uh, Terrence McKenna's BS uh, stoned ape theory that was heavily promoted by uh, guys like Joe Rogan, you know, and then you start looking into it and it's completely nonsense. And, and uh, McKenna fudged his, uh, his citations to guys like, uh, who was it, Roland Fisher or something like that. He totally faked the citations and misquoted Fisher to make his arguments about visual acuity and all of this stuff, which ended up being uh, completely nonsense. Yeah, and then, 
I, you know, again, apologize. It wasn't uh, more clear, but at the end, he, he then he, he, you know, they're talking about this. Okay. And then, you know, the tribal encyclopedia, how much information they had to transfer. And now then they mentioned satellites with billions and billions of, of, I think it said megabytes <laughs> back in the early nineties, uh, megabytes um, of data. And, but then from there they shift to, you know, no one can comprehend or have all this information. There was a singularity in the cave when they did mushrooms or whatever. The new singularity is the singularity, which is what is commonly known by, which is the fusion of man and me, man and machine, where man, you know, we become immortal technological beings permanently encased in maybe not immortal, but, you know, we, we basically become fused with computers and machines. And that's what he's saying is the next phase of human evolution. And they go on and on about it. I'm not going to play all these things, but I mean, he, he, so they're right there. They're talking about, look at their narrative, right? Oh, you know, so instead of trying to connect all the, but they're, he's still kind of pushing them aside. Oh, you know, we live for thousands of years, you know, as, you know, hunter gatherers. And then suddenly we evolved. How? Psychedelics. Oh, oh, Okay. Um, and then, and then now what's our new, and that's what, you know, he says later on LSD, you know, virtual reality is a new LSD. And I hope they don't set up an FBI task force to stop people from doing virtual reality. Yeah. Yeah. Jerry, like the, you know, the, you know, they're going to like, Oh dude, I'm going to bust you for your VR glasses. But he said, you know, and you see, it's completely fused. It is the same th thread, which goes to completely controlled Everything you do is monitored. Your body is, you know, electronically influenced, whether externally or through implanted devices. Right. Well, your mind, you, 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 instead of having your brain burn out from LSD or be psychologically confused, you can heal from that. But once you're locked into the the uh, cyborg matrix, like those 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 guys, you know, as Lego people, you know, taking uh, you know DMT and going to the virtual Burning Man, which is there you go, there's your virtual Burning Man, there's Jerry's dream come true. That's our human future right there. That is what, at least according to Jerry and according to the Beatles and according to our our current masters of reality, that's what's happening. So, And uh, so it was members of the Merry Pranksters, including, uh, well, uh, Dorothy Fadiman's husband, James Fadiman, whom I had on the show many years ago. He helped con uh, invent the computer mouse. Um, these same, well, Timothy Leary was heavily promoting, uh, virtual reality before his death. Um, who's the other guy I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, that basically was behind the, uh, invention of, uh, computers. Uh, we talked to him about, uh, Stuart, Stuart Brand. And oh. so, you know, these guys were heavily involved in SRI, Stanford Research Institute, was heavily involved not only in MKUltra and promoting all of this pseudo-shamanism garbage, but also promoting the virtual rea reality and technocracy, etc. So, you know, we, it always ends up tying right back to this group of people here, along with Aldous Huxley and... Uh, you know, some of these other people, but, uh, you know, it's the same, it's always this same group of people that we end up right back at when we follow these, uh, rabbit holes. But here's Stuart Brand, one of the 
top uh, merry prankster guys who uh, was also behind the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He did uh, the electric uh, Kool-Aid acid tests. He was behind computer creation, etc. So, um, and then uh, so here's Stanford Research Institute here, heavily involved. Cybernetics ties in there. We see James Fadiman involved in MKUltra. He did the last legal LSD test. Dr. Andrea Puhrich involved in MKUltra. Joseph Campbell involved in MKUltra. He was also at the Maverick Society in Woodstock uh, promoting do what you want to while Aleister Crowley was out on the rocks of Esopus Island uh, saying do what thou wilt is the whole of the law. And then uh, so all of these guys tie into this same little nexus. But uh, so we end up with this. Uh, uh, oops. We end up with this. Oops. What's going on here? Uh, my my uh, brain program apparently just crashed, but we end up with this nexus of these guys who are involved with the Merry Pranksters, with MKUltra, with the Stanford Research Institute, with Aldous Huxley, and uh, all of this kind of uh, stuff. So let's see, technocracy... Uh, I don't have them tied into here. I should put more of them. Uh, Club of Rome, interestingly, Rianne Eisler, who worked with Terrence McKenna, ties in right there, as does H.G. Uh, Wells and uh, eugenics population control, etc. And here's the Tavistock Institute. But Rianne Eisler did one of these long uh, BS talks about uh, uh, how patriarchal society is evil and all of this stuff and to promote all of this humanistic ideology and there and then here's cybernetics here's gregory bateson one of the co-founders of the cia who is also behind uh mk ultra his wife margaret mead whom we talked about earlier during the show always the same damn group of people tied into this stuff and and gregory bateson uh coined native revivalism which is their promotion of uh neo uh, shamanic nonsense to people today thinking that uh you know uh, shamanism is to work on your inner self and this this uh nonsense like some of the you know someone in the chat earlier was uh, saying which we've already spent a decade at this point debunking but uh you know i recommended those people go back and check out all of the earlier shows where we uh expose this stuff but um Technocracy, virtual reality, Stuart Brand, the Merry Pranksters, Ken Kesey, Tim Leary. It's the same agenda, repackaged a little bit differently. It's it's Aldous Huxley's final revolution, where it will it will be the last time that the bourgeoisie rise up against the elite, and they want the ultimate socialist, uh, mind controlled society that no one ever rises up against and and so the psychedelics cause hypersuggestion they are suggestogens they don't free anybody's mind they promote mind control oh yeah and um the you know the methodologies i mean i would you know you've got you know norbert wiener i mentioned like alan turing he's actually they did like the, he actually developed like kind of the, the first sort of prototype model the computer used like the code cracker he was connected with you know william s burroughs and william s burroughs um you know and then but then 
you go back from there and you go back from there. And so you see certain people are out there that are coming up. You go back to uh, Kurt Lewin. I mean, he was very, very important. I mean, because he kind of known as a management guru, but he actually at that, that psychological topology is a way to, to look at these group di dynamics and these, you know, patterns of conditioning, just as um, the guy uh, out in um, Canada, I just forgot his name, the guy that like drove all the, you know, LSD testing. Um, oh, goodness. At, uh, shoot. I know. That's not a good thing. I like, I know off the top of my head. It's like the most basic thing. It's like, yeah. Well, uh, what was that? Allen Memorial Institute? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, here we go. Let me just pull it up right here. Um, you and Cameron. You and Cameron. So you and Cameron's early work or some of his work, um, that's not available now. I mean, it's, I've never been able to find it. He talked about this idea of insanity as a contagion that can be spread. And one of the examples he talks about is the use of music played by people that are insane to create, to spread madness in sort of a viral or social form. So, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, like I said, the psychological topology, because that's all mathematically modeled. You put that in with cybernetics, you put it in with cybersyn, you know, the idea of this, uh, you know, sort of that's like the first smart city, you know, and, and more just as a uh, we, William Beer is more just, I think, like a ritual. I think it was probably kind of a, a Star Trek like joke, but it was setting that in the mind. It was like a ritual enactment, you know, with Salvador Andy and Chile. Um, and and so and then another side is that a lot of these people you find that they're interested they're part of um types of occult groups or practices or whatever um sometimes not publicly but for example the illuminates of thanateros right so this is like a kind of a secret society um that's connected with chaos magic um with uh some people from um you know, even the Grateful Dead, but also uh, William S. Burroughs. Um, it was, but, you know, it, it's, you know, there's a lot, a lot, I won't get into all this, but but there's there's a lot of these things that these people were involved in. What is it behind this? It's this desire to create the final, perfect, controlled world where those who believe they are the ascended masters, they are beyond God, right? They're using you know, whether it's science, because science is just a new form of, of magic in a certain way, right? Um, and whatever, I'm not saying this is real or not, but I'm just saying that this is what it started out with. And this goes um, back even to that thing. It's not even some of that, uh, the kilophot, which I talked about before, where there's this mirror image of the tree of life, right? The tree of death. Correct. And these are employed this stuff is there look at all the, the the numerology around corona blah 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 so all these things are being constantly enacted and obviously they have some kind of symbolic resonance but more importantly they have ritual resonance for this unfolding of this system which has been laid out you know for hundreds if not thousands of years as a dream that um well, even with the virtual reality, there's different stages. You have your kind of virtual 3D glasses, you know. I mean, this has also been rolled out. I mean, this stuff from Jerry is like 1991, 92. I mean, you can imagine how crap the, the virtual reality stuff was. He 
seeing Leary, he puts them on. He's like, oh, my God, I'm in ecstasy. It's just like, you know, total, total crap. Because, I mean, right. that's not even like, you know, Tron, you know, not even like Pac-Man level graphics. But all I'm saying is that it is all connected. But I think it's incumbent also to see in what ways we ourselves are influenced or in what or not even seeing that. Just try to return to your base level in a positive way. I'm not talking like, you know, hit rock bottom, you know, end up in the, in the, uh, in the gutter drinking scotch. Hey, hey, Jan, can you give me it, If you're in the gutter, you wouldn't be drinking scotch, Hans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be drinking Night Train or some crap. Hey, Jan, so, can you give me a dollar? <laughs> yeah, give, can you get me a $120 bottle of 18-year-old scotch? Hey, uh, so I wanted to uh, speak directly to uh, Gary Kelly in the audience here tonight, and he's brought up some points. Uh, he's arguing that shamanism is for the self-healment and blah, blah, blah. And he's also saying, uh, he says, quote, I would say the opposite. Psychedelics actually was the spawn of the protest movement against the war and civil rights. That's actually incorrect. I've uh, Hans and I have shown in uh, 48 shows now, as well as I've written extensive articles on this, Psychedelics were literally and directly promoted by the CIA as M as MKUltra. That is the real MKUltra is the counterculture movement. You have guys like John D. Marks who put out the bogus misdirection research on uh, Search for the Man Manchurian Candidate. You have Acid Dreams and all of this stuff where they say, oh, the hippies thwarted the CIA's actions and drugs landed on the street and stopped the CIA's agenda and thwarted their whole effort and everything. That's the agenda. That's the narrative that the CIA wants you to believe. Because if you realize that the psychedelic drugs were in fact MKUltra, as I've uh, exposed in the articles that I linked to you in the chat, then you break free from that. Uh, R. Gordon Wasson, for instance, I exposed over many years uh, was in charge of MKUltra Subproject 58. He's, of course, the guy who promoted magic mushrooms, psilocybe and amanita mushrooms, etc., to the public. He was running MKUltra for MKUltra Subproject 58 for the government, working directly with guys like Aldous Huxley. He worked directly with Timothy Leary, etc. These people promoted these agendas not to free you. It wasn't a uh, spawn of the protest movement, as you uh, claim there, but it was directly uh, to mind control through hypersuggestion, the population. And if you take the time to read those articles that I sent you, I think you'll see that they're correct. Uh, they're almost entirely based on primary citations that you can seek out yourself and verify that information and get yourself free of that psychedelic and that shamanic mindset because it's a dead end. It will get you nowhere. And that's why Hans and I did this episode tonight called the Magical Mystery Tour for the 12th anniversary of the show. And I've literally been trying to break people free of this uh, mindset for a decade now. So uh, I pray and hope that you take the time to study that and digest it. And it may take you about six months or so, but you'll see in the end that it is in fact MK Ultra and get yourself free of that. So that's all I had to say. Hans, are you 
Are you done for the night? You have anything to add there? Uh, no, I just want to give out my website. Okay. Onzoto.com. And I have a blog. It's a uh, mind control music.wordpress.com. And um, I've got a whole, I've got a whole uh, members area, but I've got to get it uh, online functioning. So anybody does web design, man, hit me up or whatever. And I have um, some CDs and books and I give great back rubs. He's actually, uh, you know, let Joe Biden sniff his ear and hair and stuff too. I'm kidding. Uh, I, you know what? Speaking of that, I could use a uh, web designer as well for help on, help on the uh, Logos Media website, and uh, so I would appreciate that. Also, logosmedia.com, please uh, uh, support the show. We can't do it without all of your support. And uh, please hit the like and subscribe. Please spread this episode. Thank you so much, everyone in the audience, for 12 years of tuning in. That's a long milestone. I never suspected I would still be doing this when I started this uh, uh, on October 28th, 2008. And when I started this show, I was actually in favor of psychedelics and all of this stuff. And we've done so much research over the years, including with Hans here, who's been on for a decade now, uh, exposing how it was all false. So anyway, thank you, everybody. Good night. Thanks for tuning in. Again, please support the show and see you next time. Hey, I just want to throw one thing out there. Um, I want to read this. This is about 25-page passage. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> um, I want to say about shamanism, you know, you're looking at something. So you, you're looking for a type of experience, right? Or you're looking for a maybe a type of a grounding. So, um, you know, you can go out in the woods you can sit there and with your mind and body just start to connect with nature you can talk to trees you can hug trees you know that's okay I, nothing wrong with that you can try to just imagine yourself as part of this living world and just connect with life as it is that's a type of shamanism at least as i would see it as the positive aspect connect with nature you don't get the feeling of like what it's like being a you know a, you know a raging lion or whatever. I mean you can you know we can resonate with these things in nature. We can, um, but you don't need to go and do ayahuasca you know and it was some uh, you know probably some you know rapist or extremely evil uh, dark shaman in in uh, Peru. You don't need to take a drug that could potentially make you insane the rest of your life or get astral entities attached to your body and you end up possessed or whatever, or just become a totally, you, you're just looking for the next high. And that is the problem with psychedelics. You can use them, you experience, you, people have great experiences, you experience this higher state of consciousness. What's positive is a state of connection. You feel that, you occasionally, if you're not you know, at a rock you, show. You might have that experience a couple times and then you spend time trying to get back to it and you never do. And what it, I, I, and I, I liken it to, you want to go to, uh, I don't know, you want to go to Las Vegas, you want to go to Peru, and you watch a video about going to Peru. Oh, that looks really cool. Well, the psychedelic state, whatever it's showing you of your higher potentials, is like you watching it on a TV screen compared to you actually going there. But that means to get there, you have to get in great physical shape. It's, and it's not, you know what I mean? It's not, you're not trying to blow your mind, you're trying to become as grounded, as healthy, as 
you know, as emotionally strong, as honorable, as, you know, compassionate person you can be. Um, and so while you'll get a state out of it, um, one is last thing here. One of the things that happens with psychedelic usage is even if you don't have this thing of depersonalization, which really messes people up because it's really invisible, right? Pe many people suffer from this and they call, you call it perma tripping, right? And it's something where you can live on the surface of normal life, but that's always going to be there unless you're able to go over it. But one of the basic effects of psychedelics is that it starts to separate you from your actual day-to-day -day life. It starts to create a schism. It starts to create two variegated sort of life worlds that go increasingly apart the more you want to keep taking LSD to continue your spiritual and healing journey. So you end up separating more and more of yourself from the real world. And eventually that can go into depersonalization or derealization, but it has a profound effect on your own psychic integration and your own ability to really develop to who and what you are. So, you know, yeah, you could have a great trip and say, man, it changed my life. If you keep doing it, you're not, you're, you're going to potentially destroy your life. But I think it also, unless you're strong enough to overcome it, can weaken certain things in your consciousness or mind. It, you know, it can allow you to be influenced. It can also keep you locked into the past, right? How about all these people that keep listening to the same classic rock tunes? Oh. They're, they're caught in this mind loop. Thank and you. that's, which is a cybernetic system theory. And I would, it's potentially possible that the use of LSD was tied in with cybernetic systems to create these types of social movements and create these types of cognitive loops on an individual and mass scale that we're witnessing the fruition of them uh, right now. And uh, I wish everybody the best. Thank you so much, Jan. And I think it was a, a cool show. I think we, we covered a lot of information and it was great how we're just able to, you know, just connect a lot of stuff. And I think the work we did is still important because it's still relevant. It's, I think it's more relevant. more relevant today than it probably was over the last decade when we put it out, you know? Yeah. And one last thing. Um, so people don't call me a hater. I mean, when we did our first show, we were both into psychedelics, right? Right. Well, yeah. And <laughs> look how, you know, <laughs> oh, wow, man. boy. Yeah, I can't even imagine that anymore. It's just such nonsense in hindsight. And But uh, anyway, to Gary and to everybody in the audience, please check out those uh, articles on my website. If you're still in doubt, Enthugens, What's in a Name, uh, is one of the uh, main articles, The Untold History of Psychedelic Spirituality, Social Control, and the CIA, how they literally promoted uh, psychedelic spirituality uh, under the MK Ultra program. And then the other article is Spies in Academic Clothing, the Untold History of MK Ultra and the Counterculture, and how the intelligence community misleads the 99%. I'm also working on a uh, another article. Uh, I need to get it done. I've been working on it for way too long. But uh, And then I'm going to shut up here and we'll go. But it's called uh, Teonanacatl. And let me just pull that up here. Oh, boy. Teonanacatl, uh, Flesh of the Gods, Teonanacatl and the Aztec Mushroom Death Cult. And when you go back and you look at all the original uh, 
Aztec citations that were published by uh, Friar Sahugan in the uh, late 1500s, etc., and uh, Diego Duran, etc., all of the original uh, people that uh, put the uh, Aztec reports together. Uh, and you compared them to what people like Gordon Wasson and Professor Carl Ruck and these uh, clowns promoted, you can see that they entirely uh, distorted the original citations and took them out of context for this false uh, CIA religion that they created. Even Maria Sabina herself came out against all of it and said that before Gordon Wasson, nobody used the drugs or the mushrooms to... Uh, find God, that they were only to treat local sicknesses that the Mazatec suffered from. So anyway, I'm going to end it there, and uh, once again, good night, thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you next week. Take care. Bye-bye.